0: Welcome to episode one of Women's Wisdom Our Journey in Emergency Medicine, a production of the Women in Emergency Medicine Committee of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. AAEM is a nonprofit professional association of over 8,000 emergency physicians dedicated to board certification and democratic group practice. Women's Wisdom is a podcast created by the AAEM Women in Emergency Medicine Committee to highlight the journeys of prominent women emergency physicians. Join us every other month as we explore a new path and share our stories as women physicians. In this episode, Drs. Adria Adabani and Faith Quenzer interview Dr. Lisa Moreno on her journey through emergency medicine.
1: Hello, this is Dr. Faith Quenzer from Desert Regional Medical Center, PGY4. And we're doing a podcast in Women in EM. And today, with me, I have Dr. Adria Ottoboni from Kern Medical UCLA, where she's taught as an associate professor for 15 plus years. And today, we're going to be interviewing Dr. Lisa Moreno, who is our new president elect at AAM. So, all right, we'll begin with just tell us your route to emergency medicine.
2: So, my route to emergency medicine was a little bit circuitous. I knew for probably most of high school that I wanted to be a doctor. I was a young very young mother, and then when I went to college, I was discouraged from going to medical school by my advisor. So I was told very clearly, you cannot go to medical school, despite the fact that I was—I had been an honor student in high school and maintaining a 4.0 average in college while raising children. I was told, you can't go to medical school. It's just too much for you because you've got to take care of your kids. So, I mean, this right from the very beginning was this sort of stereotyping of women this unconscious bias about the fact that women have to be the ones to take care of the kids and they can't do other things um, so i was actually encouraged by my advisor okay you want to take care of patients you want to work in a hospital why don't you become a psychiatric social worker and i did i did i became a psychiatric social worker so i was a psychiatric social worker with a master's degree for two years, and then I worked in the inpatient psychiatric unit of Bronx Municipal Hospital Center, and the director of this of the unit was a, a fellowship-trained child psychiatrist, and he told me, "You're brilliant, and you know, don't you want to do something else with your life?" And I said, "Well, I always wanted to be a doctor," and he said to me, "Well, you can," and so so this was sort of like the first person in my life who said to me, there's no reason that you can't do whatever you want to do. And he encouraged me. I started taking pre-med courses at night. My family was very supportive of me. My grandparents, especially because my mom was young and she was still working a full-time job. And so we kind of got through that. We got through the medical school application process and we, yeah, and I got, I got through medical school. So one of the other things I have to say, though, was with my daughter, because when I was sort of going through this this angst about whether I was going to apply to medical school, I had this physician, this child psychiatrist encouraging me, but I really didn't know how this was going to fly with my family. And so I, my daughter, and I tell her that I owe her so much for this, who was like eight years old, said you know what? If you don't go to medical school, the only thing that's going to be different in four years is that you still won't be a doctor. So that wasn't something that was different, but in her eight-year-old wisdom, that was how she phrased it. And she said, we're big now. We are big. We can take care of ourselves. And you should just go do this. And that was a tremendous inspiration to me on two levels. I felt like I was doing a good job raising a daughter. And I also felt that, you know, I felt that encouragement that my kids wanted to see me succeed.
3: How many children do you have? And when you had children and you were in medical school and afterwards how did you keep your life sane how do you still keep your life sane okay
2: so i have raised 5 children all of whom have done quite well and i'm proud of and i really rely tremendously on my family so i have a very close knit family our sort of it's our, it's our culture to be close-knit and supportive we all lived extremely close together and it wasn't just my my own family but my in-laws as well and everybody was very involved in managing my household um and taking care of my kids and so this this is really I think what was tremendously uh helpful to me the man I was married to at the time, I will tell you, I was emotionally supportive, but a very traditional Hispanic male. He did nothing in the house, absolutely nothing, but he was like emotionally and psychologically supportive, very happy with what I was doing. In fact, he one time said to me that, you know, this is a credit to me that I have such a, a brilliant and accomplished wife, but, um, but he was not. <laughs> He did not do things around the house. But I managed, you know, I managed with the help of my family. And how do I stay sane now? Um, And how did I stay sane then? I'll tell you one thing that I think is critically important that I learned from my grandmother at a very early age is you have to be unbelievably organized, just unbelievably organized, because I had so many things to do, and it's easy to forget what you need to do so a couple of habits that i learned were first of all to write things down i have lists now of course i use my electronic calendar but i immediately put down things that i need to do my deadlines so that i know that i can do that the second skill she taught me was to put everything back where it belongs everything should have a place and when you finish using it you put it back where it belongs so you're never running around the house frantically trying to find things, getting upset, getting excited, not knowing where anything is. And I still have that habit today. And the other thing that she taught me was the night, be- just before you go to bed, look at what you have to do tomorrow. So you know what time you have to get up, what's the appropriate thing to wear, what you need to pack in your in your bag, and those things. And I, and I was, used to look at what my kids needed to do the next day. And so those, those skills, I think, are tremendously important. And I use them today. And they, I think they serve me well. I don't know that they necessarily work for everyone, but they do for me. The other thing that keeps me sane is I totally, totally love what I do. Mm. And I think that that is one of the biggest keys to success. You have to love what you do, and you have to love the people that you do it with. Mm. And I have very low tolerance for... This may sound brutal, but it's true. Like if I'm, in, if I'm in a relationship that any kind of a relationship that is not rewarding and I'm not loving the people that I'm with, I'll cut it loose and move on. Just keep it moving because life is too short and you have to be happy. And I think loving what you do and being happy with the people around you are really, really important.
3: I think there's this sense that uh, female physicians who are incredibly successful have never made any mistakes, have no (laughs) failures in their past, have never done anything wrong, and that's how they got where they are today. Is that true of you? And if you did have any failures in your past, mistakes, things that you wish you hadn't done or things that were difficult, how did you get through it?
2: So I think it's a complete myth that people who are successful have no failures. And I think it's awful that we, some of us perpetrate that myth and don't admit to having had failures because that doesn't give other individuals, especially women, permission to be failures. So, I will I will also say that one of the myths that we perpetrate, which is absolutely awful to perpetrate, is that you can have it all. You can't, you cannot have it all. You can have it all in the course of your lifetime, but you can't have it all at once. So, when I was going to medical school, I was a terrible mother. And it wasn't that I was cruel to my kids or abusive, in a, no, I was none of that. I was wonderful when I. I was with them, but I was not very much with them. I was um, absent from the home orphan. I was psychologically absent because I was studying. I was tired, so I was sleeping. You know, when I was starting to take call as a third-year student and then a fourth-year student, and you know, really, I was not a good mother, and and I had to accept that, and it was emotionally difficult. And yes, you feel like a failure, but I felt like you know what I was doing was I was getting my family organized around my household so that that works better. And so, I also had to come to grips with the fact that if my kids had a preference as to whether they were going to be with me or with their grandmother, they'd rather be with their grandmother, and I had to deal with that. And then you know, when I remarried, I also had to deal with the fact that my kids preferred my husband, even though he wasn't their biological father. And they would say to me sometimes, if you ever divorce Tommy... We'll see you on holidays, but, you know, we're staying with him. And and that, as a mother, that sometimes hurts. But I also knew that I had to own that. I had made a choice to focus on my career. And that was what I did. And I was clear in my head that I did it not just for me. I did it for my whole family so that my family could have some financial advantages, which I didn't have growing up in the South Bronx. Mm-hmm. But... Um, And they knew that, but I mean, still to this day, life is not perfect. My kids will tell me um, often that, well, you weren't around, and you didn't do this with us, and you didn't do that with us. And they have hurts from that. They really do. Um, And I have hurts from it. But on the other hand, my mother and my grandparents and my husband had the opportunity to have really unique closeness with these kids. And... I'm, and I love those people, all of them, so I'm happy that they had that. I've also had failures in my, I flunked to the first exam that I took in medical school. That was devastating. I had been a 4.0 student through college and through a master's degree, and I just wasn't prepared for what medical school was like, for the fact that it was a lot of memorization. And I didn't know that I had to put that time in to just memorize all those anatomy things, you know, all the veins and the the origin and insertion of every muscle. And I just kind of didn't get it. And it took me a little while to get into that rhythm. And so I tell people now... You don't have to be the smartest kid on the block to succeed in medical school. you got to work damn hard. Mm-hmm. And if you want it bad enough and you're willing to work hard enough, you'll do it. But absolutely, I've had failures in, in my personal life and in my professional life and in my educational life, and I think it's important for us as women to let other women know that we've had those setbacks, that everyone copes with them in a slightly different way, but everyone has those setbacks and nobody's perfect. And the key thing is that you just get up and keep going going. And I credit my family a lot. My dad um, was only with me for the first five years of my life, but one of the things that my dad said to me also was, the only people who never fail are the people who never do anything worth doing.
1: And I always remember that, because I think that's true. Great answer. Oh, man. So tell me about the male mentors that you've had in your life, the true he for she's that really were significant in your career. So that's a great
2: question, and my answer is possibly going to be controversial. I think there may be some women who don't like it. But I think that for women to succeed, we have to have male mentors. And the reason that is so is because in the upper echelons of academia and in the upper echelons of even community practice and community hospitals, those seats are predominantly occupied by men. And we know that's true. I mean, we have equity sort of getting up to the, through the instructor and assistant professor level, and then we don't have equity after that. And we have equity, you know, getting up to a certain level. You know, you can be maybe a medical director, but sitting in the C-suite, you know, there's not as many women as men. So the men have the, the connections they know who's who, they have the cachet. And so if you've got a male who is mentoring you and saying, you know, she rocks, she's really good, she's reliable, um, or I can't do that particular lecture, but I know someone who can, and they create these opportunities for us, then we're, that gives us the entree into those upper echelon positions. And so I think that most successful women, at least at this time in history, have had a male that has helped them and created some opportunities for them. Hopefully, in the future, that won't necessarily be so. But I give a huge amount of credit to Peter W., and I say this often and and, uh, enthusiastically. He created huge opportunities for me. He was the vice chair when I came to LSU New Orleans, Department of Emergency Medicine, and he created those kind of opportunities for me. Like, I can't sit on this committee, but I know someone who can. I can't give this lecture, but I know someone who can. Oh, I know someone who can write this textbook chapter. You know, tremendous opportunities. Introducing me to the dean, creating situations where my work glowed in front of the people who mattered, who had the ability to give promotions, who had the ability to create opportunities, um, even within AAM. He told me, you need to do open mic, and he practiced with me and rehearsed with me. And I can tell you, I've had, you know, what he this is his word, I've had a meteoric rise in emergency medicine. I finished my, it was the second residency I did. I finished it in 2004 by 20... 12 I had my packet in for full professor. I was full professor in 2013. I started doing open mic here at AAM and now I'm the president-elect. So I think that having a mentor like that who believed in me, who encouraged me, and who actually also pointed out, you know this is what you're good at and this is what you're not so good at and you probably ought not to track yourself to, into EMS or being an administrator you don't like it you're not good at it and it's important for people to tell you that and i think in some ways men are better at doing that than women are but i think having having a male mentor matters i had the dr peter poliska who encouraged me to become a physician. I had Dr. Peter W who encouraged me and mentored my career and I think that he for shes are very essential.
1: What do you think is the trajectory for us females in emergency medicine? What makes you hopeful? Oh, people like you make me hopeful.
2: <laughs> when I see the women who are reaching out to me for mentorship and reaching out to me for advice um I am really encouraged because I think first of all that emergency medicine is just such an outstanding specialty. We're getting the best and the brightest of everybody, the best and the brightest males, the best and the brightest females, the best and the brightest trans people. We're getting the best and the brightest everybody. And so when I see the young women, they are the best and the brightest. And of course, those who self-select to be involved in organizations like AAM, Cal AAM, SAM, you know, these women are women who are ambitious for themselves and women are taking leadership roles and you know what the guys are for the most part supportive of it I don't think the young men who are in their 20s and early 30s today see women the same way that men who are in their 40s and 50s and 60s see women although middle-aged men are awesome but they carry that that tradition they carry that baggage of having seen The women in their lives being housewives and mothers like I was told I was supposed to be. So, I think that the encouragement comes from first seeing the quality of the women who are coming up in emergency medicine, the ambition of the women who believe that there are no limits, that they can do anything they set their mind to do, and then the fact that males are accepting this, and you know, we know there are more women in medicine now than men, almost 50-50 in emergency medicine, but, you know, like it said on the cover of Time magazine, the future is female.
1: Great answer, and I just want to thank you and thank uh, Dr. Audubonny for basically dealing with these barriers, and at this point, I feel like you've chipped away at the wall, so a lot of us female physicians can actually climb over that wall and hopefully down the future i'm hoping that we will um just catapult over the wall and maybe maybe we'll just break the wall down i have no doubt that you will
3: (laughs) what i really want to hear about have you had any um, episodes of gender bias that have occurred recently that you're willing to share with us i do and (laughs) I shared this
2: at the women's luncheon. So I actually had, uh, I was sitting at a table um, like the second night of AAM with a group, I will say, of all males who were from two different residency programs and a couple of, not a couple, three male residents from one of my colleagues' programs came up and started talking to me. And in the course of the conversation, which was going along very pleasantly, one of them just said to me, so whose wife are you? And I said, I'm nobody's wife. I'm the president-elect of AAM. And the guy literally took a step back and was, looked embarrassed, as he should have. He should have looked embarrassed. But then I sort of tilted my head and said, and how many men have you asked whose husband are you? Because again, I think even with some of the younger guys who definitely are, are doing better and more accepting of women in leadership, there's still that unconscious bias. That first assumption is if you're a female and you're at a, Medical conference, especially a conference where still more than 50 percent of the physicians, the attending physicians, are males. They just assume you got to be somebody's wife. But nobody ever thinks to walk around and if I see a guy in the hall, you know, I'm going to ask him, "Oh, whose husband are you?" We would never do that, and yet this is something that you know that is done all the time. So that was an issue of gender bias that that occurred right here at AAM and, uh, and just a couple of nights ago.
3: <laughs> I know that having kids and going through medical school, getting into medical school and being a resident and a physician afterwards um, is very trying on your children, on your family life, but is there something you think that your path has taught your daughter and your sons as well perhaps that they would not have learned had you remained a stay at home mom and never gone to medical school
2: I absolutely think that's true and um and and this is something that that I know has had an impact on them, and as much as they're they are sometimes unhappy about the fact that I wasn't, the, you know, I wasn't there going to the PTA meetings or bringing cupcakes mm-hmm. up to school, which are important things in the world of a of a young child. I think that they have had the opportunity to to really see what a woman can do, and to recognize that that. Uh, there really are no limitations, and that they can also pursue their dreams, which they are doing. And I have a granddaughter who just graduated from college and is uh, actually started her first job as a special education teacher teaching children whose primary language is not English, who are immigrant children in New York City. And I took her out for dinner the last time I was in New York, and she sent me a note, which people don't do very much anymore, but she actually sent me a note, and in it she wrote Mimi, you are a rock star. You made your life exactly what you wanted it to be, and you created the world that you wanted. And she said, Because of what you have done, I will be able to be the person that. I want to be and that (laughs) I'm getting choked up saying it because that meant the world to me it really meant the world to me that she first of all it's always wonderful when one of your kids sees you for who you really are and she said you created you created the life you wanted and but what meant more to me was that she said because of what you've done I can be the person I really want to be and I want to be that example I want to be that example to young women and I am getting choked up and teary eyed because I think that that's something most of us want to be we want to create those opportunities so that our kids and our kids in our residencies you know our, our students can look at us and say it's not easy but it's possible for me to do what I want to do As far as we know, we only go through this once, and so we should make it what we want it to be. Despite the mistakes, despite the fact that you'll have regrets, despite the fact that nothing's ever gonna be perfect, but when you sit back and look at your life, I think it's important to say, overall, I really don't have any regrets. Mm -hmm. I've done what I wanted to do, and not only have I, as an emergency physician, I have not hurt people along the way, but I've actually made people's lives better. And I think that's, nobody can have a better goal. And as emergency physicians and women, this is something we can accomplish. And, and I don't know that everybody else in the world has the opportunities we have.
1: Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Lisa Moreno, and for your time also, Dr. Adobani. And this interview has been wonderful and inspirational and our goal here for the Women in EM podcast is that we show that we have support for each other and for the goals that we have for each other, and we truly believe in the dreams for our lives and our careers. So thank you so much for just this amazing time.
2: And thank you for the opportunity to share, and thank you for the opportunity to be part of this this podcast series that will inspire young women who want to be all that they can be.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. For more information about AAEM, visit our website at www.aaem.org. Find all episodes of this podcast and our other podcast series on the AAEM website under Resources and then Publications. Join us again next episode for a new journey through emergency medicine.